Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It becomes the sad duty tonight for those of us normally concerned with the lighter side of television reporting to deal with a somber subject. First of all, of course, our sympathies go to the families of those concerned. But what exactly happened, and vitally important, why? Whenever I think of that, that game and that time, those, those two events are so entwined. Out it goes to Lee Dixon. Long ball from Lee Dixon. Smith will hold it up, plays it square to Thomas, and Thomas goes inside Nickel, and Thomas is there, and Thomas has scored for Arsenal! It was a very, very, very unusual and very emotional set of circumstances, not just because of what happened on night, but also because of their Hillsborough disaster. Thomas was there, he held off two challenges, kept his head. By my watch, we are a minute and a half into injury time, and Michael Thomas may have won the championship for Arsenal. Hello everyone and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Joining myself and Jonathan Wilson today is Amy Lawrence, football writer for The Athletic and author of a number of books including The Wenger Revolution, 20 Years of Arsenal and most recently 89, Arsenal's Greatest Moment Told in Our Words. Today we're going all the way back to the 26th of May 1989, the last day of the old Division 1. Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0 at Anfield to clinch the title. Amy, it's an obvious one, but why have you chosen this game? I'm a big believer that when 
certain things happen at a certain point in your life, they have an extra resonance and they impact on you in a in an extra way. And the circumstances of not just that night, but that that moment in time, that season. Um, I was 17 years old. It was my last year of school. It was actually my last day of school uh, on the 26th of May, 1989. So I did bunk off um, <laughs> naturally to make sure that I got myself to Anfield. And, it, you know, I do have this, when I look back at my 17-year-old self, obviously you, you're at that age where you kind of think you know it all, but, you, you, you know, you're still exploring the world and you, you're such a sort of sponge for new experiences and formulating the kind of person you are and what you believe in and what you think is important. And this thing happened, this impossible thing, um, that in many ways, uh, growing up, you know, I was born in 1971 and, you know, my whole childhood was like Arsenal won the league in 1971 and then hadn't done it mm. since. And it was this thing that you think, you know, I wonder, if, I wonder if I'll ever see it for myself in my own lifetime. And it happened when I was 17 and still quite impressionable. And it was a very, very, very unusual and very emotional set of circumstances not just because of what happened on the night, but also because of the Hillsborough disaster. And whenever I think of that that game and that time, those those two events are so um, entwined. Mm-hmm. And I still find it something that almost gives me shivers down my spine when I think that in 40-odd years of watching football and being obsessed by football and immersed in football, the two most extreme emotions I've ever had occurred within about five, six weeks of each other, which was Hillsborough, mm. And then the 26th of May, 1989, when the, you know, the impossible happened in a football match involving my team. Mm. The I'm, film of Fever Pitch actually gets that across very well, doesn't it? Because, um, I mean, you know, I, yeah, the, the, the scene of him sort of sitting in, in his front room, sort of watching Hillsborough unfold on, on the TV and sort of trying to process that, that was almost exactly, you know, obviously significantly younger than the Nick Hornby character, but that was almost exactly my experience of it, of, how can this thing that sort of has become part of my life that I go every Saturday, how can it do this? And then, yeah, the, the, the complete sort of contrast six weeks later. Yeah, and I mean, in many ways, it was... The, the Hillsborough thing was so difficult for us all to, to process. And if you... It still is in many ways. It's 30 years on and you still find yourself, whenever those images come up on TV or, or something, it's, it's, it is class, that moment where you're almost paralyzed by what you're you're watching and the memories that it evokes and well and that's sort I, of think sense, thing I was, think that sense it could have been any of us of course and you know, it, it happened to be them but anybody it, it who went to football then knew yeah. it could have been anyone and i think that's why the the ripples of our emotional reaction to it as football fans um, were felt so strongly, and I think you know when you think of major tragedies that that, that happen in life, that you you know you see something on the news of something terrible and awful that happens that you just you know it's terribly upsetting. There's something about obviously the Hillsborough disaster that that seems to go so deep. I think in in people who went to football then compared to you know other terrible things that that have happened in our lifetimes. The match was obviously moved, of course, Amy, because of the Hillsborough. Disaster. Uh, the, the the match against Arsenal was moved from the 23rd of April to the 26th of May, as a suitable date couldn't be found before the FA Cup final. So, you know, he, he, the Hills result was sort of all over this, if, if you see what I mean. Well, uh, it, 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 it wasn't going to happen in yeah. this way. It wasn't possible. And, and the other thing that that happened by by moving it and by 
the fact that it got they couldn't find a suitable date was it got moved beyond the regulation season. Mm. So it ended up being played on a Friday night, which was extremely unusual mm. in those days. Uh, but also, 90 of the 92 teams had finished their season. Yeah. So there was only two teams who had one game left to play who happened to be first and second in the first division, as was then called, uh, who happened to be in a situation where they could end up locked on points and goal difference. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what happened. It's, extra- uh, it's, it's, you, it's such a um, insanely unique set of circumstances. People often make the comparison with the Aguero Manchester City, uh, you know, title swing. Um, as was that the most dramatic finish in 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 football? And I think there's quite definitive answer to that, which was <laughs> that was against QPR, who were relegated. So, but you know, this was no, they weren't relegated. Well, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> but I take, take the back. point. But the fact that this is head to head, yeah. But the fact that I mean, it presumably head, it was like a cup final for the league. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Presum- presumably, is... whoever arranged that used some discretion because you know, as Liverpool had played West Ham on the Tuesday. That's right. So, I mean, they, they could have done something utterly stupid and put those two games the other way around. Mm. So they obviously thought, thought, yeah, we'll have this as the finale. I mean, as you as you say, it was like it was like a league playoff to decide. It, it was the way it went down, and and if you try and compare to other title run-ins and so on, it's nothing. This is absolutely extraordinary. And as you say, Jonathan, that must have been in the mind of whoever was arranging those fixtures. Yeah, and and then you know the fact that Arsenal had to win by two. Yeah, which is again a really that's something you don't get in the cup final. You know, it's something mm. where this is really specific. What mm-hmm. the task is. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, com- um, the commentary from Brian Moore at the beginning of the game, he goes, a night of chilling simplicity. And I think that really yeah. sums it up because it yeah. was mathematically very clear what had happened. And that impacted very obviously, I think, on, on the way that the game panned out. Because I think had it been a situation where Liverpool had to, you know, get something from the game, but knowing that they could lose 1-0 and mm-hmm. win the league, psychologically, especially not like they hadn't had a mm-hmm. huge number of super complicated things to try and psychologically deal with obviously in the previous weeks but that's quite a difficult thing for any sportsman yeah. to, to, to I mean, do what, to go into a game knowing that you win even though you don't have to and they just won the FA Cup they had the previous Saturday and they'd, won, they'd, great... won, they'd won about I don't know it was 18 games in a row well, they'd, yeah. won, they they'd won 13 20... of the previous 14 in the league the other one was a draw against Everton so and I have to say my before I sort of looked this up my sort of assumption had been that had been a sort of blip around you know, the immediate post Hillsborough games but no, in terms of on the pitch, mm. they were absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and Arsenal hadn't won at Anfield since seventy four. That's that right? right. Yeah, fifteen years it was. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's. Oh, it was a fortress. It's 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 a difficult thing to do. Yeah, um, and, and and by two, you know, you can't just you know try and hold out and then nick it one nil. That would that wouldn't be enough. And uh, the, the other thing, just sort of, you know, on on sort of things in my brain, it sort of slightly kind of got wrong. And I guess I knew this. I knew they had to win by by two, um, you know, because of the goal scored situation. That Arsenal actually had scored what ten more goals than Liverpool that season. That's right. So well, we, they we won... think of them as being a very negative one yeah. 0 team, but actually they they were the freer scoring side, which is what won them. They won the league on goal scored. Yeah, it wasn't even goal difference. Mm. You know that that's how incredibly tight it was. And of course, in this country, that's what you do. In Italy, that would have gone to a playoff. 
which would have been, I mean, you can imagine that if we had those rules, that <laughs> game would have produced another game. Fortunately, I think that, that, that we don't do that. But I mean, am I right in saying it? Arsenal at one point in that season had an 11 point lead over Liverpool. They had a, a, a vast league, uh, I think, just after Christmas, going into New Year. Liverpool were something like fourth or fifth, um, mm. you know, uh, around Christmas. They weren't actually particularly contenders. And I think. That's where it was a very young and quite inexperienced Arsenal team. The only person who had ever won the title in that side was Kevin Richardson, who'd been signed from uh, Watford but had played for Everton when they won the league in the mid-80s. And other than that, there was no one in the dressing room who had ever won the, or come particularly close to winning the title. There was quite a lot of homegrown players who were quite young and there was a, a core who had uh, arrived, signed by George Graham from either unfashionable or lower league sides you know, they weren't really in the business of signing superstars. In fact, George Graham didn't really like superstars. <laughs> uh, he, he always used to say, you know, I want performing stars. Right, you know? okay. uh, that was his, you know, he was a, a, a manager who very much believed, obviously going on to form the the, the, the legendary back, back four, or they played a back five that night, but all the members of that iconic Arsenal back four were, were on the pitch that night. Um, although they weren't known yet as what they of course, were, that yeah. was part of what they were turning into um, but you know they, they signing Nigel Winterburn from Wimbledon for I don't know 350 grand or something signing uh, Lee Dixon and, and Steve Bowl from Stoke um, for you know buttons really N- neither of them cost much more you know, half a million quid uh, Alan Smith was the luxury signing who mm. cost a little less than a million from Leicester City when Leicester were not quite the glamorous side that they are today so it, you know, he was all about getting people and he wanted people who were going to listen to him and not challenge him. He got rid of Charlie Nicholas and, you know, uh, the, the, as Kenny Sands, some sort of experienced international players who, you know, swanned around and were a bit complacent. And he very deliberately formed this team that were young and hungry and had desire and wanted to listen to him and would do anything he said. Mm. And, uh, but going, and going into that, uh, the, the game at Anfield Arsenal, they lost a derby and drawn with Wimbledon. And again, so you look at the, the neck and neck. Was there, was there a feeling in the, in, in among the Arsenal camp that they'd maybe blown it? Very much so. Uh, I think the only person who didn't buy into that was Tony Adams. <laughs> and uh, he was like, nah, come on, I thought we'd do it. But uh, having spoken to you know, many of the players and, and people involved in that night, I think at the end of the, the Wimbledon game, it was classic par- party pooper stuff. Arsenal were winning... Uh, 2-1 this was in the penultimate game of the season and uh, a guy called McGinn who played for Wimbledon I think it was his debut and I don't think he played much after that <laughs> he sort of came from nowhere and disappeared into obscurity and scored this goal that made mm. it 2-2 that made Arsenal's task sort of suddenly really difficult and I remember being in the North Bank that night and there was a, a, a lap of honour so it was the last home game of the season it was very rueful you know everybody was a, a, a applauding but I think the players felt you know really crushed mm-hmm. and almost embarrassed that they'd blown it and the fans feeling was very much kind of like well you know well done for having given it a great shot this year but you know let's see what next year holds it's I don't think at that point in time there was a, a feeling that right Arsenal can mm-hmm. go to Anfield and do it on the last day that that sort of defiance grew quite quietly from within the camp in the days that followed well, you can sort of sense that George Graham played on that by. I mean, just doing the research for this, I've you know watched you know a handful of of interviews on on YouTube, and well, there was I, quite a good film about it. I must say. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, 
Um, There's lots of detail in there. Great. Uh, I haven't seen it, sorry. Uh, I, will, I will dig it up in the next couple of days. Um, but you watched, yeah, so it's George Graham and David O'Leary, particularly in these interviews, mm. saying, yeah, people said we're just wasting the train fare coming up here. Yeah, there was no point us even turning up. Clearly nobody said that. Everybody was going, <laughs> this is brilliant, it's a title decider. But I, I, I can see why, you know, in terms of generating this siege mentality, mm-hmm. in terms of making out the 15 years of not winning at Anfield, making out it didn't matter, making out the fact that the, the, the stutter that had gone on for, what, three or four months didn't matter. I think like, you, you, you say nobody said that. I mean, one national newspaper ran the headline, you haven't got a prayer, Arsenal. So there, there was... I mean, yeah. They might have ramped it up, but certainly, I mean, but nobody gave Arsenal a chance here. I, I t- it's, it's one thing to sort of say that in, in sort of tabloid ease that you think Liverpool will, will win it. It's another thing to say that this is a waste of time. What, you haven't got a prayer, would suggest? Ah, come on, that's tabloid ease. For <laughs> Liverpool might nick it 1-0. Oh, is that right? I don't think there were many newspapers at the time that were, you know, giving positive spin that Arsenal did have much of a prayer, to be honest, from my memory, but... George Graham really gave a masterclass, I think, in, in between the kind of calamity of them dropping five points at home to Derby and Wimbledon uh, and going up to Anfield. And, that, and first of all, he gave him some time off. And then I think he might have encouraged them to go off to the races or what have you. Yeah, right. Get up to a bit of an, no good and let off a bit of steam, and uh, which you could do in those days without it being sort of uh, too exposing, I think. And uh, he then really kept things very, very light you know, the players have all mentioned how at the training ground the mood was quite buoyant, quite relaxed. You know, there wasn't a kind of a come on tunnel vision siege mentality thing going on. It was quite the opposite. I think uh, George Graham's approach was to really do everything he could psychologically to take the pressure off them. And uh, what he did, the, the thing he did that was most surprising is normally for a, a game, an evening game of that nature, you wouldn't be travelling up on the day. You'd go up the day before, you'd have a night in a hotel. Um, you'd get up the next day and maybe have a stroll around town and your pre-match meal and a little rest and all that stuff. But uh, he said, right, we travel on the day of the game. So this is the biggest game for 18 years. <laughs> and they rearranged the whole uh, transport, etc., to to take the coach up on, on the Friday morning. And, you know, it's... Uh, the seats on the bus were hard to come by. There was people who turned up who wanted to go up to Anfield like directors and had nothing, no business being anyone there. And who was sitting in, you know, one of the top players' seats. And it was like, excuse me. It was all a bit kind of crackers. Um, but they, there was this real air of calm uh, that was generated by sort of changing the plans in that way. And I, I think that was, a, that was a big help. They all, all the, the players seemed to have this feeling. The other thing, though, of course, that, that happened that, in hindsight seems remarkable is that George Graham in his pre-match talks pretty much read the script Mm -hmm. his entire uh, tactical approach to this was everybody thinks we've got to go out there go gung-ho play extra forwards throw everything at them we've got to score two goals at Anfield no nil-nil half time please (laughs) that was his instructions (laughs) and and Brian Moore in the on on the commentary when he's reading out the team Mm. he he expresses surprise Oh, Steve Bowles playing. They're playing a back three. Mm. You'd have thought they'd have wanted more forwards on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll just take a quick break, Amy, and then we will uh, talk about the game after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. Welcome back to the greatest games, everybody. Right, let's get into the game. <laughs> We've taken a big old run up at it, and 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 you're right in saying that Arsenal they needed to win by two goals, so they went for a back five. That's right. This was the, the <laughs> classic George Graham, um, but he insists it was a back three. He insists it was. There was two reasons for it: Liverpool being Liverpool, um, having the phenomenon of, of 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 John Barnes, who was probably the best player in the league on on one wing. And Ray Houghton on the other, who was extremely dangerous. It was all about cutting off the supply lines so that, you know, that, that Ian Rush and Beardsley or Aldridge or whoever were not getting chances because so much of Liverpool's game came down those flanks. Yeah, Rush and Aldridge started and then Rush was injured after mm-hmm. 32 minutes and Beardsley came on. Mm-hmm. So. so George George's idea was Dixon and Winterburn push right up and stop... Uh, uh, pin the wingers back. Pin the wingers mm-hmm. back. Um and then the three centre backs would sort of try and outnumber and comfortably deal with the strikers. That was the plan. And it was mm. nil nil half time, please. Then, you know, they might get a little bit nervous, get one goal, uh, you know, in the second mm-hmm. half, and then watch them start to panic a bit. And that's where you can get another one. So that was, was exactly that, what he said before the game. There was that very good chance. You know, Steve Bold almost scored, didn't he? In the first half. Extraordinary clearance from Steve Nichol. 
It, yeah, probably did Arsenal a favour, really, because they yeah, it might have been too early. To score, they might have been too early. Yeah. Well, the, the, but we should so we should mention. Um, you were saying that you you didn't get in for kickoff. I mean, kickoff was delayed. It was, of yeah. As That's if right. as if the the drama couldn't be ramped up a bit more. Kickoff is delayed because of a lot there of traffic. Was a, and there stuff. was an insane. <laughs> Uh, traffic jam. Basically. How did you go up there? Did you drive? Uh, no, um, travel club coaches. There were uh, 25 coaches, although there wasn't a coach number 13, for, <laughs> uh, I'm told. For, uh, and uh, and it was a convoy of coaches that left Highbury uh, around about midday-ish, which should have been plenty of time to get there for an eight o'clock kickoff. What but was the feeling like among the fans? Really optimistic. Really? Honestly. Uh, very positive. It was a boiling day. Mm. Everybody felt great. And the other thing that I remember very vividly was this sense of, of the community and of everybody kind of being out to try and... It was almost like a, an army was going off mm. and people were trying to sort of give them a good send-off. People waving at the, the windows Yeah, honestly, and there was... Like, we, we drove past a, 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 a school on Drayton Park just by the state, just to go around the corner from the stadium. And, uh, and they've got like a... A lifeboat in the in the playground, mm. and they were all up on the lifeboat screaming. All these kids, and then we drove past. Uh, I remember seeing four old ladies all all bedecked in like rosettes and stuff on their balconies, waving, and there was people honking their horns at the coaches, and and all the way up the sort of Holloway Road. It felt like the whole of like North London was like. Oh, come so it was on, almost like you know. were the team. It was like you were to, it was to play very bizarre. Part, I mean, considering we didn't weren't doing anything <laughs> that would affect the result, obviously. Uh, it, but yeah, there was just this vibe. But it was difficult to explain. But like something special could happen. Yeah. Um, I didn't get the feeling of, of hopelessness for mm. some, you know, which totally goes against that you haven't got a prayer Arsenal headlines and so yeah. on. Obviously, outside. The, the bubble, you can imagine everyone else thinking, well, Liverpool are going to coast this, then that's fine. And you, you sit down to watch a game thinking that if you don't have a vested interest as a neutral. But it seemed like within the kind of core of the community and of the club that everybody thought, ah, oh, well, come on then, let's see, mm. let's see what, what we can do. The calmness of George Graham you've spoken about, he said before the game, as long as we can keep a, a clean sheet or keep them out for a long period of the game, then we've got a chance. And that, that you know, goes into the point of playing sort of a back five. And David O'Leary, the only non-Englishman in the side, deployed as a sweeper, which wasn't his normal position for Arsenal. No, right they'd, done it one, they'd done it uh, t- by memory once before that season. Yeah. I mean, they were absolutely a back four team. They were 4-4-2 all season, except for that, that because there was... With this this uh, tactic was designed specifically for Liverpool. And the game before the original game against Liverpool that was scheduled on April 23rd, um, Arsenal played Manchester United at Old Trafford or a couple of games before. It was a sort of... Graham regarded it as a good warm-up, similar up north, you know, big team, although Man United were nowhere as good as Liverpool that that that, that era. Um, so they, they, they did it for that game. They did it as a practice match. And that was a game where um, uh, Arsenal drew 1-1 and uh, uh, Adam scored in both ends. Uh, <laughs> it was pouring with rain and it, quite late on, it kind of lunged at a, a ball coming across and it skidded off and took a deflection and looped over. John Lukic's head and all it was all the Eeyore stuff was in the papers the following day. Mm. So that was kind of interesting sort of side issue when you're reflecting on those kind of times. Um, although someone pointed out recently that back then, kind of anyone was you get would get Eeyore yeah. if they did something stupid. I mean, they they really laid it on thick with with Adams at that particular moment, but. Could be at any game then. If someone didn't like have as, to, <laughs> they didn't have as much of a, a repertoire as they do now, perhaps. You know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but, but anyway, so they had had one practice. But other right. than that, it, <clears> you know, it, this was this was a the, this was what they it was all designed about mm. specifically Liverpool away. So as we said, they got to half time nil nil. So the plan's going <laughs> it's going according to plan, and then in the second half, Alan Smith scores the first goal, 
And so seven minutes into the second half. Seven minutes into the second half. An indirect free kick. Yeah. Which he gets his head on to. Yeah, a, a very fine glancing header. Liverpool players protested quite vehemently. Which I think suggests they were really rattled by that. Yeah. Because it's, a re- I, you know, it's really really hard to understand what they were complaining about because the touch is a low slight. It's pretty obvious. There was no sort of shove or anything. Well, I think the referee said, didn't he, years later when he was... Some time after the game, he felt that he he said that the Liverpool players didn't really know what they were protesting. Is that right, Amy? Is there? Yeah, the the, the referee was um, who's a lovely fellow, Dave Hutchinson. Um, uh, he he did feel that he was just surrounded. And there was a kind of a, a series of things that were being thrown at him. It was like, was it offside? Was it you know, that they didn't get a touch? You know, it could have been sort of almost anything. Was there a foul somewhere? So. He he had a very specific routine that he would always do at games, which was essentially to buy himself some time if things were were, were difficult, which was go and go and see his linesman. And one of the details that I, I discovered that has always kind of struck me as remarkable for a game of this sort of stature is that the referee and his two linesmen had never met before he smashed <laughs> and never worked again either. Was that right? A single game together. Yeah. So they were sort of thrown together for this match, and they they met in the afternoon and had to develop a rapport the referee spent some time explaining exactly how he you know if I look at you you know with help written all over my face you know <laughs> like just give me you know, give me a chance I'll come and talk to you and we'll have time to take the pressure off and uh, so he went over to talk to his linesman and um, basically asked them you know clear questions it was an indirect kick. Did Alan Smith get touched? And the linesman said, yes. Was it offside? No. Uh, was there any ob- obstruction or foul? No. So then he, he gave the goal. But I mean, it, it did seem to go on for ages. And mm. I think there well, was, there's a, there's there's a, a, a bit a, of panic The there, camera's right? right there as well. So mm. anybody who can lip read can presumably follow what that comes. Certainly you can see the linesman's face. Mm. Maybe the referee's slightly angled away. But then, you know, I was trying to lip read it. <laughs> and the first, you know, the, the look on the linesman's face initially is, is just sort of surprised. What, what? I don't know. I don't even know what question I'm going to get asked here. And then you see, sort of, he relaxes because it's obviously this routine of kind of pretty basic questions, which you can just sort of go, "Fine, that's fine, also fine." Mm. But a hell of a decision to make. Well, or, or to potentially make in that art of atmosphere. You've got Liverpool players surrounding you and the crowd and, and, and so on and so forth. But the goal was given, and it was one nil to Arsenal, and it was. It seemed to be one nil when you, you watch that game back. And I don't know how you felt in the stands, Amy. It seems to be one nil for a long time. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say about about being is it, it was so engrossed in the game, and I don't think there was a clock actually, if mm. memory serves, in the on the scoreboard uh, at Anfield. And I, d- I definitely remember not knowing what time it was at all, and not, not I never. Which I is a weird thing, isn't it? I didn't I, know what I didn't know how that late. Definitely the... happened quite a lot. Yeah, it seems such an obvious thing. You put a clock there. Um, but I remember, I was sort of thinking, you know, Rugger Park was one clock, but it was like, you know, an, an analogue clock. So you didn't really know, because did it start at three? But to be fair, Highbury Stadium was, was a world three. leader in having a clock. Having a clock, yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't a digital clock, was no, it? it was true, like, yeah. But it's uh, something that happened that night, as far as the TV broadcast that was concerned, that was uh, a, a beginning of something, that in that TV broadcasts back then, and this was, I think, the first year of the of the um, football deal where they were showing live football, uh, ITV, in, the, in one of the original TV deals. And um, there was no clock and there was no score on on the screen. Mm-hmm. Screens were bare apart from the action. Uh, and the producer on the night, when it got quite late in the game, I think it got to about 85 minutes or so, uh, they had a discussion about 
putting a clock up, putting a little clock that they that they could see in the TV production um, area for the world out there to see how long there was to go. And there was some, you know, high level debate going on where the producer was saying to, you know, the director or the head of sport, let's put up the, the clock. Yeah. And they said, no, it'll look shit. And they said, don't care if it'll look shit. People <laughs> need to know what time it is. Yeah. And that was the first time that the clock was used. They sort of, every sort of quarter of an hour, they'd have sort of a... Time check. Yeah, you know, the, the picture of a clock with sort of quarter of an hour marked off and then whatever the score was. And that, that would be it. But yeah, because it's it actually, it struck me watching it that for that time, it looked really weird to have this... Because you, you know when McMahon does that weird thing mm. where he, uh, I think a free kicks played, played short. Yeah, well, that's actually before this, yeah. So there's a, I think Richardson's down with cramp. That's right. Which is also a weird thing. Like, it's almost like he's, I mean, he's wasting Arsenal's time. <laughs> yeah. He's down for ages with cramp. Just well, get off a pitch. To be fair, like, he, he must really have cramp. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Of all the people, of all the injuries that weren't faked, you could say it was that one. <laughs> so yeah, there's the, the incident of... Uh, you see Aldridge and Barnes just do a little handshake, sort of keep it going. McMahon raises one thing and goes, one minute left. But then the, the, there's a short free kick play to McMahon who does this sort of weird little shimmy where he goes through three Arsenal players mm-hmm. to play the back pass. Yeah, yeah. And as he does that, it's ninety twenty six on the clock. And there's still sort of two or three minutes to go. Um, but it's extraordinary though because the sides back then were known for time-wasting with the back pass rule hadn't been mm. introduced. So mm. again... If you're playing, you, you you can't sort of emphasise this enough. If you're playing that Liverpool side at Anfield, you need to score. They're absolutely fine, and the back pass rule hasn't been introduced. You've got a hell of a task on your hands to get that second goal. And there's a moment after what you've just well, described. so from that McMahon back pass. Yeah, uh, Grabelar rolls it to mm-hmm. um, who? Who was it? Would it have been? Would it have been Steve Staunton? Could have been. Who then knocks it back to him? And then he kicks long. He didn't have to. Yeah. But he obviously said, oh, you wanted enough. We were starting to take the piss if we could do more than that. Yeah, But, but that, you could have done. Yes, but the real absolute defining moment is when John Barnes goes off to the corner flag. Absolutely. Goes, yeah. goes off and he looks like he's heading to the corner flag. Yeah. And then he turns, turns, in turns in field and, and has a go. And that was really the, the game changer because... Is that his David Ginola moment? Or well, was actually, Ginola? even before that, there'd been um, a ball played needlessly into the box, which I think Adams had, had intercepted. Mm-hmm. Then Adams' pass out was poor and Barnes picks up again. Yeah. So he's had two chances to waste time and he hasn't taken either of them. Yeah. But that's, I mean, in a way, I think that's beautiful. Because yeah, sure. in a way, I, I, that's yeah, everything about the player that John Barnes was yeah, and the no, side absolutely. that Liverpool was. True enough. Which was, it wasn't really in their instinctive nature. They, sure. were, a fo- they were a phenomenal football well, but side. But by, by, by then, it wasn't in their nature. Yeah, the previous season had been, uh, I think, the most attacking Liverpool we'd ever seen, certainly mm. since Shankly took over. Um, you know that that eighty seven eight season when they had yeah Houghton and Barnes and Beardsley yeah, all come in, they were playing absolutely extraordinary football. Yeah, the the Shankly Paisley years were they were very pragmatic, which is fine. Yeah, you know, it's a perfect. Yeah, but by eighty eight, they were the but, best team we'd ever seen. Yeah, it felt like <laughs> so, yeah, they were much more attacking side. Yeah. Um, before we get onto the goal, just to, to turn that that clock back a, a, a few a few minutes. Thomas had a chance, didn't he, mm. to make it 2-0. He hates talking about it. Does he? To this day. Why? When people bring up that chance that he missed. I mean, but, I go, mean, oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> but surely the way the game panned out, I would think it would... Well, it, in, again, a bit like the you talked about the bold chance at the beginning. I think if that goes in with 15 minutes to go, then Liverpool respond. It's too long. I, complete, it, I completely agree. In the, with the benefit of hindsight, it's the right thing that it, for Arsenal. So there's, there's a three-ball from Kevin Richardson. Thomas yeah. runs on. He sort he of stabs, stabs the shot a bit, yeah. And Robble are... It's just in the way of what, it. With the feeling in the crowd, was that a kind of, a, oh, that was our chance? I have or? to tell you again, I don't know what time it was. I was just so, uh, it, it, there aren't that many games I can think of where I was so in, you were almost like you felt like you were on the pitch. I yeah. can't explain it properly. <laughs> it was quite surreal, but you just, it was like watching a game with, with specific blinkers where you really have no idea what's going on, like one centimetre away from what you, you know, what you're looking at on the pitch. Um, and it just, he was just so absorbed that mm. n- no idea. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, you, you don't think you're going to have loads of chances to score, but I I didn't think, oh my God, that was it. It's right. getting late or I, anything I, like that. I'm surprised he's still bothered by that because the, 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 there's two lovely moments left in the game um, that, that involved him very much. Mm. And, and the obvious one is the goal, of course. So, I mean, John, I suppose you talk us through what happened there. Um, so, there's, uh, well, Barnes is tackled by Kevin Richardson. Yes. Um, and then comes to Lee Dixon. Sort of in a you know, classic right back slot. No, it goes back to John Lukic. It does, yeah. And oh, this and Lukic is another gets it big Dixon, moment where Lukic, everybody thinks he throws a goal at stoppage time and, you know, just launch it and he throws it to yeah. Dixon. Dixon didn't want the ball. Yeah. Playing and it out he from was the running, back. He was run- <laughs> well, but the John Lukic's explanation from that is brilliant where he, he said that as soon as Alan Smith had scored in that second half, they'd been so obsessed about mm-hmm. keep it nil nil, don't concede a goal. Suddenly, the everything changed where they need another goal and now he said it was even more important they don't concede mm. and he said he went into this kind of state of elevated concentration <laughs> like he'd never concentrated like that ever in his life and by the end he was so tired obviously a mental tiredness sure. not even been that physically active he said he, he said if I'm kicking this it's not getting out of the box and that's why he threw it to Dixon <laughs> Amazing. And uh, anyway, then Dixon thinks I've only got one ball here and I'll just do what I always do, which Whack is same for Alan Smith. Because <laughs> he'll, he'll be able to control anything. And which, the Smith does brilliantly to take yeah. it down. Mm. And then sort of the ball sort of bundles past Alan Hansen. And suddenly from absolutely nowhere, there's Thomas clean through. And what I, what I love about that, though, is when, when Thomas, as you say, it sort of bundles his way through. When he gets it, the pressure... In that situation, he takes a touch. If I'm honest with you, I almost think he takes one extra touch too much. He takes his time in front of goal. Considering that chance that he'd missed before, you'd think perhaps that he would maybe lash it or or, or something. And even watching the the clip back, you think, hurry up, man, they're going to catch you. But do do you not think that the chance he missed is why he does that? He knows knows the first finish was this sort of horrible, Mm. stabby, nervy, just just kick it towards the goal. This one, it was sort of, I'll take it. And he he, he waits for Grabbelot to start to commit going to his right and hits it back I mean, across Grabbelot's legs. You see it from behind the goal. It's absolutely brilliant. It's it's a marvellous finish. But I mean, Amy, when he goes through on goal again the touches he's taken it does seem quite a long time again from that that touch when he puts himself a goal to actually putting the ball in the net well the the amazing thing was that if you speak to any of his teammates they will all say the same thing like a chorus which is if there was any man to take that shot mm. it's mickey thomas really? right. yeah and the reason for that is that he was so placid and so calm mm-hmm. that he didn't panic and anybody else would have done. And Paul Merson said, he, you know, he literally said, if it was me, I would have shat myself. You know, <laughs> like, like, I, he was so almost relieved that it, that, but, but, but you know, 
they really felt like he was he was the the only person that could have managed that situation. Mm. Um, and the other thing they said about him is that if he would have missed, he would have handled it, which obviously a lot of other people would have struggled with. Mm. You know, if you you'd have been the man who, yeah, who, I would have been. Who, yeah, you might have been But uh, but he would. Ju- I think he just felt it was weird. He says that when he'd missed that chance before, he had almost had this kind of Zen-like feeling as I'll have another go, I'll right. get another chance. It was like he felt some sort of destiny thing going on. And I think when he was through, it was just, as he describes it, you know, a game of poker, a cat and mouse. He wanted to wait for Grobelar. Grobelar wanted to wait for Thomas. They were both waiting for the other one to make the first move. And he held his nerve. And what's the most amazing thing is when you watch it on super slow-mo, you, you notice how close Ray Houghton's oh, boot is it's, it's... To, t- to tackling him. You know, there's a, there is a photograph yeah. that a friend of mine took uh, that looks like Houghton's got the ball. That's how close it is. It, 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 you almost look at that and you think, well, it's not possible that mm-hmm. he didn't actually get tackled there because it looks like his foot's actually mostly on the ball. And that photo sums up the season, really. Yeah. It sounds like that, that finale, just mm. how... It's the margin of the margin. And that, my friends, is why you never give up. <laughs> or never leave a game early. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and, and And so... Arsenal, they, they score pandemonium, of course. I can't even imagine the scenes in, in the away end. But like I say, there was two moments with Michael Thomas. And the second one is he controls the ball in his own box when Liverpool, straight from kickoff, are like, right, oh my goodness, we have to attack. We've got to go forward. Bomb on. The ball comes into the box and Thomas ends up, and, and he has players around him taking a nice little touch and just calmly rolling it back to John Lukic, <laughs> almost sort of playing Liverpool at, the, at their own tactic as well. It's, I mean, that shows, that it goes into what you're saying about how calm the man was. You know, an amazing moment, really, considering the, the, the situation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, yeah, like you say, he has almost this, a kind of triptych of moments involving <laughs> Thomas yeah. in that last 15 minutes. And, you know, they were all highly influential and you could analyse each of them mm. to death, really. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan, what did you, when you saw the game and you saw that second goal going in, did, what did you think? Well, I was watching it at home with my dad, I think. Uh, well, I was. Um, so obviously my dad went, oh, it's not uh, it's not same as 73 though, is it? <laughs> uh, which actually, no, but on, on, a more, on a more universal point, uh, when the final whistle went in the 73 Cup final, my dad said, having spent, you know, essentially, yeah, 25 minutes whistling for the final whistle, his immediate reaction when the final whistle actually did go was sadness because he knew it would never be that good again. Uh, now, he was, he was 35 at the time, so he'd seen a bit more, but did, did the 17-year-old you have? 100%. I mean, not that moment. Really? Yeah, but I remember getting up the next day and just seeing the papers and somehow seeing it written out makes something more real because you almost you're in this kind of weird mm-hmm. hallucin- hallucinogenic sort of state almost, so you got, you got the coach down that got night. the coach that back must down have been amazing night. there was some weird psychedelic greek music on the on the coach but radio everyone must have been going mental it was, surely well, it was kind or of was exhausted of, it was both really i think it was a mixture um it, it seemed to go quite quick and uh and and we got back and my 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 friends uh who i went with her mum had had uh, written a banner that she put on the front door that said arsenal champions it was seeing it that was like <gasps> that was almost sort mm. of a i don't know it made it real somehow and then we went and got the video and watched it and that was really weird because watching it again and seeing how late it was honestly i thought i thought that was about 15 20 minutes ago at the time when tom scored at the at the time um had no clue until we actually saw it again and uh 
the next day getting all the papers, I do remember sitting there thinking, well, that's it. Like, I don't think life gets any better than this. But I didn't, I didn't feel sad about that. I felt quite serene. I thought it was quite fantastic. Yeah. Well, an amazing game, an amazing end of the season. Amy, thank you very much for, for talking to us about that. It's been, it's been great fun. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. We're back next week with another outstanding match from the history of football. See you then. Was a Stakhanov production.